Previously, when you wanted to compose music or do music, you would have to go through a digital audio workstation. You have to use a DAW, and DAWs have drop-down menus. What is nice about VR is that it opens up this kind of new realm of user interactions. What I've been doing with this most recent project, which is the Interactive Beat Drop Simulator, it's primarily built around two gestures, which is one, the up gesture, which um, starts intensity rising, and then if you want it to keep rising, you have to gesture up again, and then you do it again and again and again, and that oh, the intensity God. builds up. Um, in addition to this, like the music builds up, but also ideally the visuals around you start yes. to get a little bit more intense. The world starts vibrating, colors start shifting a little bit. Um, choreography happens um, in the world around you. Um, and then there's a downward gesture, which triggers the beat drop. And that's supposed to be super satisfying where I chose when that would happen. I did it when I felt it was right. right. You know, yeah. I did. With the gesture and with the, the visuals. With the gesture and the like visuals uh, take, take the inputs that you put and like react to that. Boom, what's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakian. We are at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Cambridge in Massachusetts. We are now gonna be talking about interactive audiovisual creation. We have Gregory Osborne joining us on the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on. Of really course. appreciate it. I'm very excited. This is a topic that we really have yet to dig deep into. Very pumped to have Greg joining us. He's a recent graduate of Berklee College of Music in Boston, focused on developing the next generation of interactive audiovisual art using video game music implementation, taking advantage of virtual reality and new types of user interfaces. And you can find Greg's links below. Check him out. Greg, let's start things off with this perspective that we find ourselves as stewards of Earth. What is your current take on the state of our world? I find that uh, recently, especially with, with the kind of advancements of technology that we've had, especially in the, the last half century, if, if not the last like century itself, um, we've found that technology has made it way more accessible for, for people who have no formal training um, in art or science, to be honest, um, in, in, in very many fields, to start participating in those fields, there's a lower barrier of entry because technology has made it way easier for, for people to, to, one, learn what it is that's important for the performance of that job, whether it's art or science or whatever, but also makes it easier for them to share what they have learned so that they can like, really expand the pool of people who are interested in that subject. So for example, if I have found this really cool, cheap, easy form of music to create, it becomes really, really easy for me to spread that to my friends so that they can also make that music and you build up your kind of you know, culture around that where everyone is sharing, it's really easy to share. It's really fast. You can do it with the click of a button, check out this track I made, check out this art that I put up on Tumblr or whatever. Um, it has become, really shockingly fast um, to, to share your advancements in a field. Um, so what I found is that um, this, does, this hasn't necessarily diminished like the, the value of having really deep knowledge of a thing, 
um, because you still can make like incredibly nuanced and complicated pieces of art because you have studied this for 20 years. But what it's done is it's opened up this kind of avenue where that's not the only reason to, to do art. You can also do it just for your friends because you got home from work and you have not been given the amount of like expression, self-expression that you desired in your day. I, I'm sure that's relatable to a few people. And they can go home and they can express themselves with you know their hobbies. And not only, it doesn't have to be alone in your basement that you do this. You can also share it with all of your other friends who also probably possibly work similar, you know, jobs that don't fully ex like give them the potential to express themselves. And it, that's not saying there's any shame in that. But what we've seen is technology has made it way easier to continue to express yourself despite, you know, these kind of primary activities that you find yourself doing. Yes, the people that push the edge of knowledge and build the new tools and technologies that then democratize people's creative ability yeah. to contribute is such a great synthesis on the state of the world. I love that. Let's jump into the journey. So you were raised in DC. Yes. And then you uh, went to the Berklee College of Music here in Boston. I want to know, tell me about the journey and what sparked your interest in music. Well. Um, musically, I've been um, playing classical. I was classically trained in piano since the age of five. Um, it was kind of the thing my parents were like, do you want to do this? And I kind of said yes to most of their suggestions at the time I was five. Um, so I did. I found that I really enjoyed it, um, just playing piano. Uh, interestingly, I don't really play that much piano anymore. I kind of got um, sidetracked into composition um, around the ninth grade because, because of my, um, like, piano playing skills, um, they put me into the honors program at the Levine School of Music, where I got access to, most importantly, this one workshop, uh, which was everybody writes a song as a group. And I remember like writing the song as a group with the lyrics and everything, and I enjoyed that song so much that when they failed to send that song to us after the event was over, I asked them multiple times and I never got it. I went back and I spent an entire weekend rewriting it for myself. <laughs> it was it was the song called My GPS Lies. It was basically comparing your GPS to a girlfriend, like a bad like a bad girlfriend, it was like a poor dysfunctional relationship. And so I enjoyed that idea so much. I was like, this, I want to hear it again, but they don't send us the file of us singing it. Uh, so I ended up remaking it. And so that kind of started me on the process of composition um, as opposed to just playing music. And, mm -hmm. and I, my father um, kind of was a DJ in his, in his spare time. It's like as a hobby. Um, and so he used Ableton for that. Um, Ableton is this program that um, can be used for DJing and it, it requires a bit of setup and you, you do it and that was kind of how he performed it but it's also primarily a music making tool so when he heard that I had an interest in composition he was like you should try this program and so I got that program and that's the program I've mostly been using for the past um, five or so years to create music till today till today till Able today it's Ableton. Ableton Ableton it's a it's a digital audio workstation um, called a DAW DAW for short mm -hmm. and I, you might hear me say that again yeah, yeah. later cool um, but um, it's it it's mostly used for electronic composition so mm -hmm. that's kind of the music that I make right now is mostly electronic though mm -hmm. that has changed since I came to Berkeley. 
And um, is this still uh, with when you were using Ableton last five years? Is this really still the clicking and dragging into timeline sequences? Um, well, one of the one of the nice things about Ableton actually is it kind of revolutionized a new type of composition, which was their. Um, not arrangement view, which is what you were mentioning, but it's the called an arrangement view. view is There's what we're the arrangement about, view, yes. which is where you click it and it's linear. Linear, um, yes. But Ableton also has the session view, okay. which is where you amass all your clips in like this kind of spreadsheet, essentially, and you can program behavior into its playback so that um, you can trigger clips non-linearly. So you can change your arrangement on the fly based on the music that, you know, it, it becomes a live performance. And so that's what a lot of people will use, especially now um, for live performances for electronic music, because you're not necessarily up there with the guitar shredding, yeah. but what you can do is you can show off your prowess with all these kind of inputs and like hardware yeah, and yeah. Um, triggering the right dials and, and buttons at the right time to perform the piece of music that you wrote electronically. So that's yes, kind of yes. one of the things Ableton's excels at. And, um, and that's also partly, that's where you can add a sequence of a couple things and then have that become a program that repeats. Have that yes, and repeat. you can just loop it. You can have a bunch of clips trigger at the same time. Um, okay. You can design right. instruments with like macros that use specific dials that you adjust to change parameters live. Um, and so yeah. it, it created basically a new um, type of, of performance for electronic music. Um, the digital audio workstation. It's a digital. It's a digital audio workstation. Um, cool. It doesn't. Most digital audio workstations don't have that feature. That digital audio workstation mostly just for creation of music. Yes. Uh, it's just the the program that you use for that. And then you um, can actually get your your ability to actually do yeah. a to to perform it live. What the, is I, the what is the Scratch is this? What is this? A well, this record? this is like turntables. A, a like turntable <laughs> is a is a scratch a um, turntable. This is that's not what Ableton is mostly I, for. Yes, yeah. but what is what is that? This is, is scratching. Yeah, turntables. So like. so so there is an additional uh, potentially a physical unit that one can use to have a, a scratching of turntables as well to yeah. do like a physical kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, and you can okay, you okay. can record performances of that with okay. your. That would normally be separate gear though. Uh, and, although and I'm sure you can find a plugin that helps you do that just in the program. And did, did you end up picking electronic music uh, like around like when you were starting doing this and then you kept doing it through Berkeley? Yeah, sort of. I, I found electronic music a little bit earlier than I've had the access and means to produce it myself. Um, but it's kind of just like my musical tastes evolve kind of slowly based on YouTube videos that I watched and, and the, the music that they used in like gaming montages was yeah. often electronic. So the particular artist that I listened to ended up like fueling my, my, my love of electronic music. Um, but now I'm, I've, you know, gotten incredibly nuanced and deep as most musicians at Berkeley will with their musical tastes. You know, the people make really deep dives into specific things, and I'm not different. Yes. And now, this is cool. You guys, you're teaching me about CWP, which means Contemporary Writing and Production. And this is for all different types of things, film, games, etc. So teach us about what this major even is. Yeah. So this is at uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Um, it's one of many majors that you can take here. Contemporary Writing, uh, writing and Production tends to be the kind of generalist composer where it's not necessarily you as a like specific artist producing and producing music under your own name, but it's for all the rest of the music that surrounds us in daily life, be it in advertisements, 
um, in YouTube videos, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you can arrange, sometimes when somebody writes a, a cool piece of music, but they need it like arranged in, for different bands, like one for a band, one for an orchestra, one for five flutes and a fiddle or something, they generally need, they hire somebody to just arrange that for them. So that's a, a skill that you learn in this major. Um, it's kind of just like general writing of music uh, as well as recording it you kind of it's it it, it tries to be a, a mix of a lot of different things um, and do you need to know sheet music yes to do this so you need to know how to position musical notes on uh on a musical bar yeah and there's programs that help you do that um and how long they go for yeah. and what what is it? An accent? Yeah, accent articulations, like articulations. the different types of, of notes that you can that you types can, of notes that you can interesting. Make. Yeah, and and there's pro. I actually have a friend of mine who specializes in just getting music onto the page in a way that's clear and legible. Wow. Uh, so people will have like you know orchestral scores or whatever, like music that they have written in their head, and they have like you know, this kind of mock-up and, and he will go just into the program and make sure the score is clean and all the parts are very legible and very clear about what they do. Cause that actually, it's a process. It takes a bit of time. Mm-hmm. I have, he's actually doing one right now for me, <laughs> wow. but, and that's just what he does is his specialization. That's kind of a beautiful thing about Berkeley is that they're all geniuses, but like at very specific things, yes. all the things are different. Um, which so this is, is kind of like nice. score cleanup or like no music yeah. sheet cleanup just a just because it's tedious it's like it's a hard thing and yes. there is a certain amount of art to it to make it as clear and concise to the player who is reading the music so that they can accurately reflect the wishes of the composer that's not yeah. that's not easy it's not necessarily always like just well, it'll happen. It, it does take a bit of work and effort. And a score can be used for a film or a video game or a commercial. There's like so many different yeah, places. Yeah, music is everywhere. Like it, people write music for lots of things. There's like entire um, libraries just where people can go. It's like, I need music for this kind of mood. And you'll just go to the library and, and pay for that music really fast and, and just use it. Um, like that's another, for example, option for for COEP people is to just write music for libraries that gets used um, in Lord knows what place because there's so many places that use music, but you know somebody has to make it first. And what would a CWP kind of process maybe look like for give us like what you would learn and maybe a general or two like that are important and then how you'd focus. Um, so it, there's a lot of different paths that you can take with, with this major. Um, they teach you how to arrange for specific groups of instruments, like how do you even write for horns? How do you write for strings and uh. for flutes and clarinets and the woodwind family? And how do you effectively use percussion? And you have to like learn about the roles of this. Uh, of all these instruments, you would learn like just basic techniques that have been used in, in recent like contemporary music. So like different harmonies, how you stack up harmonies together, how horns are used effectively in one genre versus another genre, how they are typically used, like genre tropes. Of course, you can get, um, CWP offers a lot of deeper dives into specific genres that mm-hmm. you might be interested in, um, just to, to specialize in a specific type of music writing. I specialize more in electronic music, but uh, especially recently, like hybridizing that with orchestral written music with live instruments and, and kind of blending that together. 
Um, and that's, that's my specific kind of focus that I did within the CWP major. Uh, of course, my primary focus at Berkeley was, was video game music and, and, and composition for that kind of medium. And so that's, that's really what I've been mostly focusing on. Of course, Berkeley, if you take the contemporary writing and production major, you will be good at writing music, like at minimum. So they, they teach you that pretty well. Um, Electric and orchestral music for video game. Yeah, program. it doesn't have to be for video games necessarily, but that is the kind of, that's where I tend to use my compositions. That's the kind of field I'm trying to focus that on. That your is, focus was, yeah, in, you also made it crazy interesting that you have to learn how to write for horns and for woodwinds. Yeah, and they, they have and different how they stack for techniques. harmonies was yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Blending different orchestral textures is a whole entire art. Like wow. one of my teachers yeah. is just like, just listen to the way he orchestrated this. Listen to the choices he made and like where the in octaves they are playing or who is on top of who and how that changes the character. There's a, a lot of nuance to yeah. everything about music. It's not it's it's not easy <laughs> yeah. necessarily and, to, to and get great at. There's so much nuance, and I love how you know you then ex were explaining to me earlier within video game music composition, which is where you're you know super passionate yeah. about. There's yes. this big <laughs> there's a huge difference, and this is hard to capture when we're just you know. Uh, engaging with content, we're not necessarily thinking about how difficult it was to create it and the nuance sure. there. But like, just like at a restaurant, you don't think about all the operations in the background. No, and, and they don't want you to. Stuff. That's also kind of similar to video game music. You don't want to make it obvious what the systems are behind it, right? You, oh, the, the okay. per mostly Most of the time, the purpose okay. is to just have it just happen to perfectly score what it is you're doing. Like, you want it to be subtle. like. So a but lot you of, want to be able to double click in and investigate when you want. Yeah, and that's kind of like, but that's the stuff you, yeah. that video game composers will do when they play a game. It's all deliberately try to break the music playback just to see how it works. But under normal gaming circumstances, you're trying to make it just so that it happens. It happens magically and without anybody noticing. In as gorgeous of a way as possible. Exactly. You, you made this really clear to me. I was like, holy crap, this is crazy. So like... When you make the score for a film, the all of the music is linear, and then when you are making the the, the music library for a video game, right. there is what's the sound when the door is opened? What's the sound when you enter into a shower? Right. You know, there's like. You know, this is really complicated. When do these things play? How how are these cataloged? And right. how did you create them in the first place? What, how do the, all the algorithms and math work as well? Teach right. us about this. This is so interesting. <laughs> sure. Well, there's um, there's a lot of different parameters often that you have to to take account for. One of the kind of most basic building blocks of of the music part of video game music implementation is the loop. So you have music that will continue indefinitely as long as you need it to, because one of the def key defining features of, of game audio is that you have you can't make them do a thing most of the time. Although you can you can sometimes script things, and, and there's some games like art games, for example, that like have specific timed moments. Um, that but normally you want them to feel natural, like it feels like a narrative progression that that yeah. that made sense. Um, but often the times you'll 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 be defining how loops transition into each other and with what music um, and how fast 
um, how reactive. So for example, um, in some cases where you have a bunch of pieces of music that um, are all the same tempo, you can kind of define the transition so that they always happen on the beat, so it always makes sense. And you can also add on top of that another piece of music that plays to kind of mask that transition. So uh, one very common trope I hit to ruin games for you now is a cymbal swell, which is and on the is when the music changes. Um, and, it, and stuff like that, that's generally called like a, a transition segment or, or a stinger. Um, a stinger is more of a thing that happens at any point, just a piece of music that plays when you either like open a box, like in Zelda. Um, and so that's like a stinger that just plays at any time. There's a piece of music, but there's also sound that's effects. That's an algorithm, so it's actually attached to the treasure box. Yeah, so when you open that, that's then when it play plays. That so music. you have to define either if it can be like opening a box, it could be moving from location to other when location. When you enter into another scene, yeah. you could change the music. Yeah, and you don't know, you don't always know exactly where you'll exit from the last piece of music unless you specifically uh, define that. So, so there has to be a transition to make it kind of yeah. smooth. And it doesn't. It doesn't have to be smooth necessarily. Yeah, you yeah. Can, there's there's perfectly valid places where it just fades out and then fades back in again. Uh, and that that is a perfectly like natural. Like, but the artistic decision of where that's appropriate versus where you really want to keep the pace going versus where you want them to like notice off in the distance uh, like a piece of music that is directly spatialized to that location and like ah that's a, a place i want to go to that is a, a kind of um that often will like be tied to the specific piece of music that you're playing it might not even be heard ever um but if you get close to that location you'll hear this new layer of music on top of the music that's already playing and okay. that's defined by question yes okay okay so if when we're when we're moving more towards the surround sound and then to the ambisonics these 360 sure. degree places you so we're saying that there's potentially going to be let's say uh, a building that has a, some sort of a, of music that's coming from it, sure. and we're hearing it like in our in our in our background. And then the closer we get to it, so it's always playing. That building in the video game yeah. music is always playing, but it's spatially in that location. In that location. So yeah. that way, I can. Wow, that's some complicated stuff to know yeah. how loud to play the music and based on how close the character is. That's part of the mixing process. So a lot of game audio implementation is playing the game a lot to make sure that that layer of music isn't drowning out all the other pieces of music that might also be playing. Maybe as you get closer to that building, you encounter enemies and suddenly uh, battle music plays or something, or gunshots happen and you have to make decisions as to what you want to be the focus. Like, do you want the building sound to be the focus or do you want the bullets whizzing past your head to be the focus? Or all those kind of decisions are part of what makes up a general kind of game mix. For, for the non-literary music. And, and often you'll have competing sources of music that's like, there's battle music, but there's also this exploratory music that has this radio playing or whatever. And, and there's the kind of difference between music that kind of just plays underscore and music that's specifically sourced in the game that you, can, that you know where it's coming from. 
Um, the same thing for kind of like sound effects. Like there's some sound effects that you need to know the position for, like yes. um, where enemies are versus getting hurt. That's kind of an internal thing. Like you're getting hurt, so you don't have to worry about where that's coming from. You know where it's coming from. Yeah. That just happens in 2D, and so you can just play that directly into your ears, and you don't have to route that into whatever spatializer you're using for, for all the, the positioned um, sound effects. It seems crazy thinking about every step that you take makes a sound in a game. Foot, so you Footsteps stop. are like a meme. <laughs> why, Because every person who does video game sound effects has to make footsteps. It's uh, like a part of almost yeah, every yeah, 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 game. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so like either you have your library of footsteps that you just use on everyone, but what if people will notice? So then you have to change or find different footsteps. When you're walking in grass versus on yeah, dirt. Yeah, there's a lot of different materials. Sometimes games have like metal and then glass that you walk on or have different, maybe you wade through a river and when you wade through a river, you have to make sure that the footsteps start getting wet and then fade out completely as you start swimming and Damn, then as you get to the end of the thing so we can't always stuff. just be playing you have to define those states this is this is crazy so give us an idea of how many uh, uh, audio um, uh, designers work on and engineers work on just a single complex video game like, like like a sandbox potentially style. Oh, okay, because like, there's there's different yeah. layers of, of video games, right? There's like indie games, which are generally smaller, yes, uh, yes, which yes. sometimes work with as little as like one audio person because you know they don't have the budget for a composer and a sound designer. But like AAA games will have like flocks, like you know many sound designers working on the different footsteps. You know, especially if you're on a tight schedule. You know, you you have to organize a structure whereas where the creative vision is being explained to the one guy at the top, yeah. and he's like, "All right, I don't like that sound effect because it's too magical, and we're too much in a sci-fi universe. So try and change that." They have to make those creative decisions, and Whoa. they kind of have their teams working on either footsteps for characters. Sometimes one one you'll focus on one character um, and all the sounds associated with them. Um, Things, things like that. So yes, there's, there's a lot of people working on sound. That's an important part of the game. It makes a massive impact on your enjoyment of it, especially if it's poorly implemented. Then you're like, ah, I hear that sound again and again and again, and it makes yeah, me yeah. tired and not want to play, play the game. The game. And then there's a composer and a sound designer. Um, often it doesn't. That doesn't. There's nowhere is it written that that has to totally. be the case. But it tends to divide up on bigger projects better if you have one person working on music and one person working on like making all the individual sounds. Uh, and uh, they'll probably work together very closely to make sure that the general vibe is, is similar and 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 meshes well. Uh, often they have to choose a key to make sound effects in. Um, to, to make sure that harmonically it doesn't kind of clash too much, especially for the more pitched sound effects that you might have in a game. Um, so they, they, they work, collaborate together, but there's a lot of work that has to be done. So they do separate it out often into like music writers. And then there's their team of editors that goes through and, and, and through all the either recordings of an orchestra that they did um, 
to, to make the music or the session file that they, if it's electronic music, for example, they'll get the actual file and then they'll separate it into different layers that can play at different times because layering is a very common um, implementation technique for video games where it's like you want to build intensity, we'll just add the music in and then we add the third level of music in and then you add the fourth one, oh my god, you're succeeding so much. But, um, but somebody has to go in and like divide those and often you know a composer especially for larger games a composer will just write the music record the music um have a like have a mixer mix it and then you have like a team of editors who go through and, and make decisions as to uh, what goes on what layer at what time um and how to implement it um yeah <laughs> in the way that you're teaching us about um the the video game music composition is so similar to the video game that we're in right now. Because there's cars on Memorial Drive back yeah. there that we can hear. There's um, people that walk in and out of the doors in the hallway right. right now that slam in and out. When you walk, you hear the footsteps. Yeah. There's just, this is such an interesting sort of world of all of, of yeah. I'm glad you give us this perspective because we don't typically just yeah. you know think about all of the different noises in the kitchen, all the different noises in the office. Yeah, know? but it's, you know, you can take some time to think about that. Like, nothing is stopping you from, from just, like, sitting in a place and being like, what do I hear right now? And that's often an exercise that they ask us to do. Which I is love like, that exercise. Because, because often in video games, the things that really sells the world and really sells immersion is, like, a bunch of tiny little details about the room that when you notice them, you know, it's like, oh, wow, wow. Especially in sound design, for example. Like, when you build a, 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 like a, a sound, like a sword, like hitting a person, right? You have to try and put in as much detail into that sound as possible. So it's not only the swoosh of the sword and the collision of the sword on the person, but sometimes the enemy that you're hitting is going to be wearing armor. And so you have an armor sound or it makes a different sound when they're not wearing armor because you broke it. Or you also want to have a different sound um, for it if it's a bleeding you know, sword. It causes bleeding or poison or whatever. You can add that kind of sound effect on top of that based on the type of weapon you're using. Um, if it hits the center of the blade versus the tip of the yeah, blade. Yeah, and that will be more important <laughs> as we go into VR because yeah, yeah. often in, in, in video games you don't necessarily have that direct control over yeah. an object and the sound that it creates, but as we go into more physics-based kind of virtual reality games, um, how sound is created and propagates becomes even more important. Yeah. So like where the collision happens on the sword becomes important, you know, so that you can, when you clang, the clang happens from there. If you like, if the sword hap like collision is right here, you want it to happen here and not on the tip of the sword or at the handle, you need to make sure that you position the sounds where they would be in real life. And um, a lot of that is, it gets more complicated as you get into virtual reality because the haptics as, from the vibration. Yeah. I mean, this and is some as you embody stuff. the space, you notice the failures of sound implementation more. That. <laughs> you know, it's different when you're looking at a 2D screen and you're like, ah, oh, there's an enemy over there. You know, in that general direction, and you move your mouse to look in that direction, and it, it pans so that it's in front of you. Um, but but when you're in VR, it matters not just what direction it's coming from, it matters 
um, the elevation it's coming from. Yes. It matters um, what objects are around it, that how the reverb works, how, how the sound kind of echoes and reflects off the room. So for example, this room, um, you can hear a bit of reverb, especially when we talk a little louder. And that's because we've got glass here and we've got glass on the other side and it kind of just bounces back and forth for a bit and it makes it sound um, a little bit more live than it would be in, in a room that was like all carpet. And so, especially as you go into VR, which is why people put up those soundproofing yeah, for to example. prevent the reverb from yeah, happening. Yeah, but but as you go into a game, the kind of environment that you're in, if that footstep sounds like it's in a completely dry room, you know, but you're in a cavern or you're in like a church, you know, you want that footstep to have the same amount of reflections as it would in that real space, and yes. it matters even more in VR oh than it does in gosh. games. And already, there's a couple of really you have to measure. You have to you literally well, have to maybe take like can, a boom mic to a church can, and then maybe record it that way versus like people, in a field. People you, do that. That's called convolution reverb, where you like fire a gun, or more commonly now you have like a kind of sine wave to measure how all the frequencies um, reflect off the space. That's convolution reverb. That's for like really accurate representations of one position in a space. Um, What's interesting though, is that when you make that measurement, and let's say you're in the center of the church, the reverb is gonna be different when you walk over to the wall. Wall. And then when you walk over uh, to the altar. You guys are crazy, how do you do this? So this one is way insane. is to like do the calculations using ray casting, which is this uh, thing where you like fire a ray in all directions often. Um, one of the games that does this really well is The Last of Us, they have yeah. their, um, their, their, when somebody talks, and walks behind a wall, then the reverb changes yeah. based on where you would hear them. Another game that does this incredibly well is Rainbow Six Siege. Um, is this, it's, this, it's a shooter, um, team-based shooter, and then, but it's, it, because the environment is destructible around you, it becomes really important that the sound propagates to that environment yes. super realistically. Otherwise, if you're standing next to a wall, like if, I'm, if there's a wall right here and there's an enemy on the other side of it, and there's a door right here, when the enemy walks by, I should not be able to shoot him through the wall based on sound alone. I need to hear that sound through the door over here. So here. that's where I hear. So I can tell that there's somebody in the hallway, wow. but I can't necessarily tell that they're right next to me across from this wall. And meanwhile, someone on this side of the building is breaking down yeah, one of those and so surfaces. All, so and all especially if it's like, on the third floor, a massive explosion happens. You don't hear the explosion, you hear a bunch of reverb from that explosion and you can, it positions itself Whoa. from the doorway from which you would hear that. Okay, we 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 were, we're we spent so much time talking about this. It gets this, Greg. incredibly it. complicated. It's, it's so beautiful I, too. I can talking geek about out it. about it and you'll, a lot. I, and I, I think you'll actually end up teaching us more about it as we get a little deeper into right. um, some of the hardware and software side of things. Which, all right, let's dive into this. So you're very interested in making albums of interactive music. So, yeah. and, and I want, I will have you explain this, but you're, you know, we're talking about how to make this video game music composition. This requires hardware, this requires software, this things like Unity, yeah. um, Unreal. Mm -hmm. um, 
also all of the VR hardware, AR hardware is this now out there. But this this albums of interactive music thing, this kind of loops us all the way back to the democratization. Right. So teach us about this and how you're building this. Well, take for example Unity, which is free to download and you can make a game in Unity for free and if it like achieves I think a certain amount of success they have they take a cut of that basically. Um, but if you want to learn how to make games, you can just download Unity and make one using the tools that they've got there. Um, and there's also a large amount of free assets on the asset store on Unity that you can use to, to mess around with and see what it would look like if you made a game like this or like that. Um, and and that kind of um, that kind of experience to be able to just like go out and use it. Of course, it's good for Unity because if you want to make a big game, you've developed all these skills and you're used to this particular engine in the way that it works. So of course, when you make a big game, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to use the thing that I know how to use. Of course, you can also take it as a challenge to try and do it in another platform like Unreal or Game Maker, or, or there's a couple of, of tools out there that you can, you can use to, to make a game. Um, but the entry is, do you have enough space on your hard drive to download this program? and then go mess around with that. But cloud is now in effect or not yet? The cloud uh, computations? Are... I'm not sure. I, that's not really my, I don't know much about that necessarily. Hopefully at uh, some point <laughs> it gets so democratized that you don't even need a really powerful hardware. Locally yeah. you can just, yeah. It, it, it'll, it, it'll happen at some yeah. point, I imagine. Um, but in addition to that, uh, there's, I, there's sound implementation in Unity that you can do, and one of the things about Unity is that if you know enough coding, um, you can you can set up some crazy things, and, and people will sell packages that they made to do stuff um, that you that would be very difficult to to make just coding yourself, but you can just go out and get a package that does that thing in Unity for you. Um, but one thing that you can do is from an audio perspective, right? Um, there's a couple of programs um, that are middleware, audio middleware engines that essentially take the audio functionality out of Unity and just put in a different program. Mm. And then those tools are designed to be much more efficient, like for, for from a user perspective. It's like, I want this thing to loop and then every time it loops, I want to make sure it plays the reverb tail at the end while still starting at the beginning. That's difficult in Unity um, because your loops have to be perfect uh, and you have to have the reverb tail from the end of the song at the beginning of the song so that you don't hear a click. But if you're in Wise, it's really easy to set up. You just put the beginning marker, you put the end marker of what you want it to loop in between, and then all the sound that comes after that, it just kind of continues playing as it goes to the beginning. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it makes it easier. Um, this is why there's also FMOD, um, I think. Audio all middleware, interesting. Yeah. These integrators that yeah. work, that's so cool that there's now markets for that. Yeah. And also, it's I wanna see um, something that makes it easy to be able to, uh, like you said, to take it, take what you have as your current audio um, in Unity out and then bring it, it in with the middleware that you use. Yeah. I just want it to be more frictionless. Too many times we hear about people that, <laughs> yes, that, that like lose like, years worth of work because of software updates or whatever, yeah. all different types of things. I mean, and it, it does take a bit of time. I, 
had some embar- an embarrassing long amount of time before I got Wise and Unity to work together because of one step that I missed in the process of just getting sound. Uh, and that's kind of a thing I've gotten used to, especially because I work in kind of newer VR spaces is I often just build in five hours of time at the beginning of every project to have nothing work and frantic Googling to try and figure out why the project won't even load. Like that's just kind of like, I've come to expect that. <laughs> but but it, 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 a lot of it is like YouTube tutorials online that you can just watch and, and yeah. the, the companies will put up there and you just watch them yeah. and then you're like, oh, that's what I missed. I'll yeah. just go and do that, and then the sound works, and then you kind of build up. Honestly, YouTube tutorials are the most underrated source of learning in this world. <laughs> I, I agree so much, yeah. And mentors, one-on-one and, yeah, mentors. I mean, yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I just, for example, I just sat with a friend of mine who for a class has to implement Wise and Unity together, and in that process, we ran into one of these bugs that it wouldn't generate a sound bank for Mac, or we didn't know how to get it to do that. So it would only work on Windows, but not on the Mac that we were using at the time. And so struggling through that process and just like banging your head against the wall, just trying to figure out why it's not working, that is very common. <laughs> but it, it, it doesn't happen again. <laughs> Every time, um, as in like once you figured that out, you get you get further. It's like a video game. You get further and further and further as you unlock the skills. You you have the keys to unlock that door, and then you know the puzzle that you have to solve for that door, and you know the quick shortcut um, through the Dark Souls level that skips past the first boss, um, and you get better at at developing games and implementing audio and, and whatever it is you kind of want to do. And yes. what's nice is that. There's an often entire communities dedicated to helping you out, which it just makes me feel so at home. It's like, ah, yes, like I had this exact question. Thank you for explaining it to me in 15 minutes. It would have taken me literal hours to figure that out if you hadn't done that. Correct. Correct. you know. Yes, yes, and I want I want you to give us the you know this ties us into the the fascinating intro um, music systems that non musicians can exercise creative control over. This is the albums of interactive music. Right. You gave some beautiful examples of being able to build up the beats yeah. and then drop them with yes. your in the spatial environment. That's yeah. I call it an interactive beat drop simulator. Um, the idea being that. Um, Previously, when you wanted to compose music or do music, you would have to go through a digital audio workstation. You have to use a DAW. And DAWs have drop-down menus. And DAWs have, it, there have been like significant um, advancements in trying to make it as easy as possible for non-musicians to do what they want with audio in these digital audio workstations. Uh, GarageBand um, has like, a bunch of behind the scenes stuff that it does to your sound, like adding reverb to it and creating buses for you when you create a new track. And it it really tries to make the process as simple as possible, but ultimately um, making music that you would like is difficult. Um, It takes a bit of practice um, and investments of time that not everybody necessarily has, although I would encourage you to invest that time to try and give yourself some amount of self-expression. But what is nice about VR is that it opens up this kind of new realm of user interactions um, where where you put your hands and how you move them can be used 
um, in a kind of more natural way, I suppose, um, than like using a mouse and a keyboard to kind of click around. Like music, amazing music happens that way, but you do kind of have to know to some extent what you're going for. A lot of people who start out have like music in their head that they know they want to make, but they don't know how to do it. And I, I still run into that problem right now. Um, I beatbox music that I know I would not be able to make in the amount of time it takes for me to beatbox it. It's like, this is the sound, I want to go to You know, yeah. I want to do that. I would, like, that would probably take me 30 A minutes, an hour, and, and this is me having the, like the, five yeah. years of music experience to just recreate that sound that I just made. Like, it's there, why can't I just use that? But it's, And you um, can capture the, you doing it and then import it? Uh, yeah, well, you can, you can capture that. What I've been doing with this most recent project, which is the Interactive Beat Drop Simulator, is while I'm trying to figure out the music system, um, I've been just beatboxing the music. <laughs> so when, you, when I'm playing it right now, it's just me beatboxing the So the, the way it works um, is when you, it, it's primarily built around two gestures, which is one, the up gesture, which um, starts intensity rising, and then if you want it to keep rising, you have to gesture up again, and then you do it again and again and again, and that the intensity builds up. Um, in addition to this, like the music builds up, but also ideally the visuals around you start yes. to get a little bit more intense. The world starts vibrating, colors start shifting a little bit. Um, choreography happens um, in the world around you. Um, and then there's a downward gesture, which triggers the beat drop. And that's supposed to be super satisfying where I chose when that would happen. I did it when I felt it was right. right. You know, yeah. I did. With the gesture and with the, the visuals. Gesture and the visuals like, uh, take, take the inputs that you put and like react to that. Of course, this is, this is not composition, right? This is me creating an experience for you that you can play back, yeah. you know, and I composed the music so that it would sound dramatic. And I, I made the system in wise so that it would, you know, it, it would time it to the beat so that no matter when you drop down, it'll always happen in time um, and things like that. But as, I, as this kind of field advances of using gestures to make musical flourishes when you go and, and then when you, when you select specific items or if you point, especially as we lose the controllers and move towards yeah. just knowing what your hands look like, yeah. you'll be able to more and more easily create an experience that you just dance music into being. And it can be to some extent, you can have it be random. Um, it, a lot of work will be put on defining what some gestures are, teaching people what, the teaching new users what gestures they can even do. Like, I want you ideally to experience all of the cool stuff that I made. Um, but to teach you how to unlock those gestures, there's a, you know, a certain amount of time that you would have to invest into learning how it works and whatever. And that's mostly just art. But I, I hope at some point the kind of boundaries become such that you feel as if you are an integral part of this composition, you know, that you, you chose these things when the beat drop is playing back you make some decisions to put effects on top of a digital signal processing, or you you can smack objects that appear in front of you that temporarily play one like piece of music instead of the music you would be listening to otherwise. To to give them tools so that they have 
as much control over what they listen to as possible, but it still sounds good no matter what they do. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. Yes, yeah, and, and, it, and then you're also moving uh, to be to build an album. So it's the beat dropper is just one of many. Then I can do this immersive beat dropper, share it with other people, yeah. make it social. There's so much. And there's there's things. other ideas, which is like just a gesture based remixer, where no matter what music is playing, when I do a gesture, it'll either mute it or it'll go or I can like chop it up a little bit. I could like make a gesture to repeat it over and over again. And so for example, I have, um, I, I had a little bit of experience uh, teaching kids in, it was, they got access to a studio as part of um, the Boys and Girls Club, there's a music clubhouse thing. So they got access to a studio and what they wanted to do was not compose music as much as they wanted to rap over it. Yeah. You know, they would go on YouTube and they would download yeah. free, they would just YouTube to MP3 and then they would go into the studio and just rap over it and they would share with their own friends. Yes, you know, that's yes. who they did it for. Yes. They did it to show off and it's like to show the bars that they had. Yeah, yeah. But what if there was a really easy way for them to not only just rip, like, not, there already is an easy way for them to rip music off of YouTube, but what if there was a way for them to exert creative control over that music? In what a if, spatial environment. In a spatial environment where they could perform it and possibly record Horde themselves itself. doing that, like put it on social media. So like, this huge. is the bars that I do. And in addition to those gestures that change the music, they can also change the visual environment around yes. them. They can record that and make creative decisions based on the visual environment that That's they're performing That's so cool. In. This is all in your revision roadmap. Vision roadmap. Yeah, this is yeah. like a long way down. I am but one person, and hopefully the the projects that I do and release, I intend to make a YouTube channel dedicated to how did I do that? This is how you do it. Crucial, you know, yes. Quick 15-minute video, how do I set up this B-Drop simulator? Yes. You know, quick 15-minute video, how do I make it so that the visuals react to the bass drum in one way, but react to the higher frequency snare drum in a different way, so that when I give them a drum set with a bass and a snare, the boom, 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 ka, ka, boom, ka, 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 boom, boom, ka, the visuals are reflected based on that. That's so You know, sweet. and whatever You're music is playing underneath. teaching people how to then make and build on top of where you've been pushing the well, edge I, of these spatial I environments. I hope so. <laughs> I, I love this. This is one of the biggest futures of like the way millennials and Gen Z think is that it's not just about pushing the edge, but it's about capturing how you push the edge to help yeah. have other people I, push it. I want to see other people's better art. Low yeah, key. Likewise. And of course, I think, likewise, I think yeah. everybody, a lot of artists will be like, ah, like the imposter syndrome thing. It's like, ah, what am I even doing here? I don't, I don't deserve this kind of thing. And for me, it's sometimes it's like that with like, I mean, yeah, I designed this cool system, but like somebody will make better music for it or somebody will make it smoother. Like the gesture is, it's really clunky right now. It doesn't perfectly sync up with the beat or whatever, or the tools that I'm using just aren't fluid enough. But the hope is that I will get to experience other people's improvements on that, and I, I want to. <laughs> I, I, yes. I hope that people make it better. Because yes. I, yeah. <laughs> you started walking us through some of the design tools of the future in this audiovisual engineering space. Uh, teach us about where you think that's heading. The audiovisual space? Um, and, and even and in the virtual and the, the spatial space as well, of course. Well, yes. I yes. think a, a huge amount of, of where we're going is, is being able to collaborate 
um, in the same space using the same tools when you're physically separated in distances. And we've seen this in like conference calls, for example, like there's, you know, you call in and everybody's in VR and there's a guy with a presentation at the front of the room, right, doing a presentation, that's one way. Like the, the Star Wars kind of hologram effect, right, for VR, um, where everyone's sitting around the table and some of them are virtual. But in addition to that, I think if, if you build up a community of people who, who use the same artistic tools in different ways, which is a very common experience. People use the same DAW, like Digital Audio Workstation, and make wildly different music, right? But it's difficult for them to work on the same one because most of the time there's one keyboard and one mouse and one way to input those shortcuts that you know and like, so often when you collaborate, it's one person inputting all the things and another person being like, what if you did this? Drag that onto here and see what it sounds like. Try and automate this. And so they're like giving suggestions, but there's not as much of a way to directly do that thing. But for example, one of the things that VR is going to do is going to, if you have a comprehensive enough set of like gestures and controls um, such that everybody can be collaborating on the same piece of art at the same time using the same tools um, then in the same space for example and talking to each other in the same space and having all those tools perhaps like in different areas so you can tell who's working on what um, that can be used for music uh, for live performances of music even you can use it for art you know like everybody engineering, engineering yeah, yeah. everybody who who like I have a specific artistic style. I use this brush in such a way, and that's kind of my unique identity, is because I've gotten really good at effectively using this one tool in this particular way. I think it'll become way easier to Location get, agnostic collaborations yeah, in digital spaces. And everyone has the same tools, yeah. right, in the same place, and they're all working on it at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that right. seems to be such a massive part of our future. Yeah, yeah, I it and it'll be fun, you know, to to be able to create with other people in the room with. You. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, there's this is also something about the uh, the what we get from the millions of years of eye to eye human yeah. human. So there'll be a the balance that we strike with that for at least a while. We'll see how that ends as, up as we going. get better. I mean, it's it, we're not the hardware is still, and I hope this always stays the case. Does not live up to our imagination of what it could be. Um, but it will get better, I assume, I hope. Until you're Until, indistinguishable you know, yeah, yeah, from the physical environment. And then the, it'll be easier to work with other people um, doing the same things and, and exerting your kind of, your creative impulses on a piece of work as other people are doing the same. I hope, I hope that happens sooner. Yes, yes. And this is an interesting lead into our last two questions. Uh, of course, as, as Greg becomes uh, digitally indistinguishable from his physical self, we must, <laughs> we must ask, are we in a simulation? Are we in a simulation? Um, I mean, the easy cop-out is, does it matter? Uh, mostly because, I mean, for me, I enjoy this. I, I am happy with where I am. Um, and to, to, to say that there's something that's more real than my lived experience, it's like, 
No? Sure. I mean, let's say there's like a Greg that's in a vat somewhere or something and like with electrodes tied to his brain. I'm still, I feel, making meaningful creative changes to this world, you know? And I am experiencing their repercussions, mm -hmm. you know? I'm, I'm doing cool stuff. I'm working on cool projects. I'm creating stuff that I don't see in the world. Right, I'm making those changes, and I'm seeing how they impact the world. Hopefully, yeah. right. And in that case, that's meaning to me. I don't really need a deeper one. And then the last question, Greg, is what is the most beautiful thing in the world? I I enjoy staying in one spot and just letting things happen around me in ways that I can try to come to understand. Like, oh. to, to, to sit and just, as things happen, be like, how, how, how does that work? Yeah. You know, it's, this happens a lot more with sound than it does with other things for me, but it's like, that was a cool effect. Whoa, what just happened over there? That kind of thing. Like, yes. how, did, how did that reflection occur? Why is the sound behaving that way? You know, how would I try and imitate that? Like, to, to follow up on the simulation thing, I am in the business of making simulations. Yes, so if, if I was in one, how did they do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right? right? I, I want to do that. I want to make that for other people. Like Deja Vu. Because it's cool. How, it's how did cool. they do that? How it's, do I make that for other people? It's so, it's cool. I think it's cool. There's some really, if you stop and listen, there's some really cool effects that you notice that you wouldn't have noticed if you didn't stop. Love, right? Things like how do you make love happen in a digital, that you build love into a digital world. Right. Well, that's, that's separate. I found that outside of virtual reality. <laughs> Greg, this has been such a good conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the of show course. and teaching us. There's so much to still understand about interactive audiovisual creation in general and what the next generation of video game music implementation, especially with virtual reality and new user interfaces is going to be like. It's been such a pleasure. Thank of you. Of course. Thank you, Thank for, you for coming on. <laughs> yeah. Everyone check out the links below to Greg's work. Go and support him. Also, Give us your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. We'd love to hear from you. Go and share more content about these fields with your friends, your family, your coworkers online. Let's get people understanding the craziness of video game music implementation and audiovisual engineering creation in general and democratizing this art. And support the artists, entrepreneurs, and organizations around the world that you believe in. Simulations links are below. Support us as well. Let us keep coming to awesome places like Cambridge to do interviews. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you very much. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you soon. Peace. Great job, brother. Woo!